Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod. Pina, who's been writing everywhere from GQ to 538. Did I see a New York Times in there, Michael? Is that right? Yeah, that one had nothing to do with basketball at all, but I did get in there uh, a couple days ago. Well, if you guys are out there of like full pod diehards, you want to see everything Michael writes, you better crack open that big time newspaper. That's that's no joke, Michael. I love it. You're everywhere. We're everywhere. The NBA is all over the place this week. We had an incredible block shot by Bam. We had an epic collapse, or really a series of collapses, by the Los Angeles Clippers. We've got so much to dive into, a Western Conference preview today uh, featuring the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so much to get to. Michael, a quick word up front. I want to encourage all of the Open Floor Globe members, if possible, to donate to the Red Cross Western Wildlife Relief Fund. I'm going to be doing a fundraiser on my Instagram account all week if you guys want details for how you can help raise monies. Uh, my my home uh, state of Oregon is just completely decimated by wildfires right now. It's as bad as it's ever been. Um, crazy smoke over Portland. And, you know, frankly, a lot of small towns just burned to the ground. Nothing left. They need your help. So if you can, check me out on Instagram. Um, you can find the link to the Red Cross donation page there. You can find some other ways to donate that are even uh, easier than that, whether it's PayPal, Venmo, that kind of thing. Check it out on my Instagram. That's at Ben.Golliver. All right, Michael, thanks for that quick plug up front. Um, everything is kind of weighing on me here in the bubble. Everybody back home is having a tough time, so I had to get that off my chest. All right, let's hop into hoops. And, uh, well, there's a couple guys who have a lot weighing on their chest in Los Angeles right now. That would be Doc Rivers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and company. They went down in epic fashion Tuesday night. They had a double-digit lead. They wound up blowing it, got down by 20 points 
uh, late in the fourth quarter to lose Game 7. Triumphant Nikola Jokic, triumphant Jamal Murray, and triumphant globe of Clippers haters, Michael. It was Lakers Christmas. It was Blazers Christmas. It was Raptors Christmas. It was Mavericks Christmas. Everybody that the Clippers had crossed here uh, over the last (laughs) year just got in on the action. I'm curious, what was going through your mind when you're watching Game 7? Were you surprised that the Clippers, uh, you know, fell to pieces? Did it make sense? Did you start to buy into the same old Clippers narrative? What did you think on Tuesday night? No, none of it really. It it doesn't really make sense until you kind of stand back and you you look at just what the problems were that you were unable to see in real time. At least I was unable to see in real time because, you know, I looked at I'm a data person, I guess, with basketball um, and an eye test person. But like the data was just so supportive of the Los Angeles Clippers all season long as a title contender. And then that's also, um, you know, there's the fact that we just know Kawhi Leonard is able to come through time and time and time again in the postseason. Um, they had lineups that could go big. They had lineups that could go small. They had basically everything that you want. It was almost like a, a buffet that was like too much. Like there was Japanese food over here and a little bit of Mexican over here. And you're kind of like, how? what am I doing? This isn't really a, a concrete meal. That's kind of how the Los Angeles Clippers were at the end of the day to me. Um, But even watching game seven, like I didn't think they were legitimately going to lose until Jamal Murray hit a three, a pull up three in transition with like, I want to say like three minutes to go, maybe, maybe even less than that, that put them up like six, 16 or 17 or something like that. And then I was like, okay, I think the Clippers are actually going to get eliminated. That was the kind of shot where I imagine a room full of Nike designers all just like looking at each other and saying, okay, we've really got to bring the heat on the Nuggets alternates for next year because we're going to start selling a lot of Jamal Murray jerseys. Like we have to break out some like new color scheme or like new look that's really going to appeal to the masses. Like this is no longer just a a Denver player. This is a a global player. Um, And he's going to have a huge stage here in the the Western Conference Finals to show everybody what he can do. Stepped Mm -hmm. up huge late in that series. Let's stick with the Clippers, though, because there are so many different layers to this. Um, Ryan from Toronto wanted to take a victory lap, Michael. And I guess uh, a couple months ago, he we had done a podcast, What Was the Worst Decision Since the Decision? And he had nominated the Clippers trade for Paul George in that conversation because they not only gave up Shea Gilgis-Alexander and all their draft picks, um, but because they did it and weren't even getting two seasons of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. At the time, Michael, Ryan remembers us saying that it was way too early to pass judgment on that trade. I think that was a fair stance for us at the time. They really needed Mm -hmm. to win the title this year. Had they won the title this year, that uh, trade would have been justified. But Ryan continues to say, I don't know if you've heard, but the Clippers just got sent home in embarrassing fashion by the Denver Nuggets and Damian Lillard's Twitter fingers. Given these more recent events, and with next season still up in the air, do you still believe it's too early to consider this the worst decision of the last decade? So it's a you know it's a fair moment for him to uh, get in a little. I told you so. I guess when you look back, you see how well Shea played uh, during the playoffs for Oklahoma City. He had some big time shots for them, a couple corner threes and late game moments that were helpful. You look at mm-hmm. Paul George. I believe was like a minus twenty or a minus twenty one in Game Seven, shooting three pointers off the side of the backboard. 
turnovers. Um, I mean, really just pretty messy. I think that he only had one free throw attempt in game seven as well. I mean, he's not really doing the like, put your head down, get to the basket, manufacture offense approach um, to a tense moment, not able to exploit Denver's, uh, you know, defensive weaknesses in, in hardly any ways. And also on the other end, not able to lock up Jamal Murray either. It just didn't go according to plan how we expected it to in year one. And I think the biggest problem I don't know if you agree with me on this, was the interpersonal chemistry on and off the court with Kawhi Leonard never really seemed like it got there. And it's such an easy contrast to make, but LeBron and AD, you know, eating together for Taco Tuesday, finishing each other's sentences, goofing off the whole time in the bubble, seeming like they really have, a, you know, a strong center court of that Lakers roster. And you could say, are those two guys separating themselves from their teammates? At times, it did feel like that this season. But with Kawhi and Paul George, you know, did they ever completely get on the same page? Did they ever get completely comfortable playing together? And and did they have enough minutes playing together because of some of the injury issues that Paul George had along the way? I think those are fair questions. And I think that's actually at the center of what went wrong for the Clippers. They didn't come together when times got tough. They sort of went their own direction. It was a lot of my turn, your turn stuff between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And it, it just didn't look right. It didn't feel right. They didn't seem completely on the same page. Uh, would you agree or would you push back, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I think that the chemistry issues were were blatant. There was the Chris Haynes report after Game 7 um, about Montrez Harrell and Paul George kind of getting into it and earlier in the playoffs. And, I mean, this was, you know, there was a, a story in The Athletic earlier this season um, where uh, Montrezl, I forget if Montrezl Harrell was on the record there or if he even publicly said it in a press conference just about um, the, I'm sure you remember better than I do, Ben, because you were on site, but like the uh, Montrezl Harrell basically complaining about preferential treatment with superstars and uh, it being a little different than the previous season when they're, the Lakers, I mean, sorry, the Clippers had an identity of uh, being an underdog and being scrappy, Pat Bev, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, pick and rolls. That's like what they were. They came back from the Golden State Warriors down 31 points in that in that first round game and really pushed that team really hard. And like that stuff just wasn't there. And the contrast between Kawhi and LeBron is, in my opinion, both fair and unfair because like what do you want? It's like LeBron is who he is. He really values uh, off-court camaraderie. He really values, uh, you know, team functions and team getaways and dinners on the road and that sort of thing because he thinks that that impacts on-court play. Obviously, uh, Kawhi is not that same type of person, and that's okay as well. He's had plenty of success being who he is and being comfortable in his own skin. Um, but I, I just like, I don't know how much, cause like we can't quantify this stuff. So I don't know how much of that was a factor. I think there's also, you know, the, the bubble just being weird and Montrez Harrell looking like a shell of himself for a variety of personal reasons and, uh, guys not being in shape because of pre bubble preparation and not having home court and all these things. And I understand that you can kind of apply these excuses to every single competitor who's there. 
but I just think that it might have affected the Clippers in a more uh, intense way. It was and look, it w- was it was worse for them. There's no question yeah. because they had a little schism between Kawhi and Paul George, in my opinion. Those guys just weren't quite on the same page, and they had a bigger schism between the new guys and the old guys and the the, re- the returning players. That's Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and Montrez Harrell. And those returning players, the connective tissue was supposed to be Patrick Beverly. He was the guy who kind of brought everybody together. He was the loudest voice in the room. That was how they kind of viewed the the team chemistry thing working all the way back to last summer. And unfortunately, he missed time during the playoffs because of a calf injury. I think that's a very overlooked and underrated piece of this. Had he been there, I think that you know they wind up you know con- coming together and congealing a little bit better um, the whole way. And then he winds up fouling out in game six with 10 minutes to go, which is completely inexcusable. And I think that's a major factor here too. It's like, wait a minute, this is the guy we're supposed to count on. What's even happening um, with him in that position? And so then you get into a situation where the other two guys, like you mentioned, uh, Trez and Lou Williams have to leave the bubble and come back. So they never got enough shared reps. I think both Michael Malone and Doc Rivers and some of the players all mentioned that the Nuggets just knew where they wanted to go with the basketball late. They were more comfortable. It, even though their core is younger, they are more shared experience uh, in those kinds of big moments, in part because all they do is play big games because they get down 3-1 and then have to fight with their backs against the wall for half the series every single round, and somehow they come out on top. So they were just more prepared, more focused, uh, more efficient, all of it late in those games, and the Clippers were just sort of dazed and confused. I do want to put a lot of this on Kawhi Leonard, though, Michael, and I, I know you always defend him, so I'm, I'm hoping we can get mm-hmm. into a screaming match about it because sure. um, you know his way has proven to work, right? But I also think that you have to look at his two titles and Finals MVPs and say, you know, the Spurs' way worked, the Raptors' way worked, not necessarily Kawhi Leonard's way worked because the Clippers built everything around Kawhi Leonard. They catered to him. They let him take an hour and a half after uh, you know every game before he's talking to the media, getting all this treatment. They did the load management thing. Um, you know they they go out of their way to support his charity efforts. Buy him a million backpacks for kids in the city of L.A. Um, they put him on the front of every billboard. They hype him up as the as the face and all that. All the things that teams do. And in the most important moments that he had been load managed for, that he had been kind of prepared for, um, in the tough moments where, you know, guys who are not certified, you know, like LeBron James, you know, type uh, players on the Denver Nuggets are pushing them really hard. He just didn't push back. He couldn't get to the basket in, in, in game seven. He wasn't doing a lot of stuff around um, the paint. He had zero free throw attempts in 44 minutes in a game seven with the season on the line. He's not rallying the troops. He's not taking over the biggest defensive assignments and really being that lockdown guy to kind of, uh, you know, take the opposition out of its offense. He was just flat bad in game seven. And, you know, we came into this season, I at least I did, saying this guy's the best player in the NBA. You've got to rank him above a LeBron James and a Giannis. You have to show him the respect factor um, after getting the... Uh, you know, the the finals MVP and the title run from Toronto. To me, he had a lot of late game brain farts and mistakes throughout the bubble. He never looked completely comfortable and happy. He did not display the necessary on-court leadership in the moments that mattered. And I pin a lot of game seven on Kawhi Leonard. All right, go ahead. Mount your counter defense. (laughs) Look, 
Uh, I cannot defend the Game 7. I don't think anyone who watched it can defend the Game 7. Kawhi would not defend the Game 7. It was probably the worst game of his career since he's been an All-Star. As you mentioned, like no free throw attempts is just wild when you think about it. Can, Can we call this a choke? I mean, look, yesterday I was full of fury and I did like three different podcasts where I said that box score needs to be put in the Choking Hall of Fame. I still feel that way 24 hours later. I mean, look, I and I'm not one who usually goes to that terminology and kind of goes at teams, but they just flat out folded in this series. They should have won this series like three different times. I hey, I agree. You're up three one. You're up double digits multiple times in the second half. You have a situation where Marcus Morris decides to pick a fight with Paul Millsap for absolutely. No reason, um, <laughs> completely unnecessary. Just that's who Marcus Morris is, and like live yeah, by as... the sword, die by the sword, right? <laughs> it gets you by Luca, but then what? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, you can pin Game Seven on Kawhi for sure. I mean, these these are the moments that um, he's here for. Like Jeff Van Gundy said at the end of, uh, or I guess during. Uh, game seven he said that you know this is where Kawhi needs to step up this is where Paul George needs to step up these are the superstars this is what they do this is why you pay them max money and historically uh, these are the players who carry teams to championships so like there's no other stage quite like a game seven for a player like Kawhi to come through and he did not Um, I mean I still personally think that I would take Kawhi over any other player in the league 100 times out of 100 uh, without blinking except wait, wait, LeBron. Wait. To win games? To win titles? To win games and to win titles because I am not a oh. prisoner of the moment like mm-hmm. you, Ben. Okay. Okay, so you I trust You trust that- his body? I mean, Doc comes out of game seven. He's talking about conditioning issues and guys aren't physically ready. Well, okay, and Kawhi's uh, got he's no not, he, lift. He, he, he's settling no, for 15-foot no, no. jumpers all the time. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. I know he okay. played 44 whoa, minutes. He didn't play 44 minutes hard. and He might have played 25 minutes hard, but there was a lot of time out there. He's just jogging around with the season on the line. Look, I mean... This is not like when you we talk about all that. First of all, I think that Doc was m- almost exclusively talking about Montrez Harrell and his criticism of being in shape and who's not in shape. And he could have been mentioning other players, but I think that criticism was mostly directed at, at Trez. Second of all, like I look, I think like this team did not have an offensive system to rely upon. So you get down to these situations, and it's like. It's high pick and roll with Kawhi, or it's high pick and roll with PG, or it's PG coming off a stagger screen, or it's a Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell pick and roll, but Montrez Harrell isn't good anymore and he can't finish at the basket. And then, like, what do you do? So it's like the the alternatives are just con, con, repetitive isolation plays with Kawhi Leonard. And yeah, the Denver Nuggets are a really smart defensive team. These guys have been together through the fire for years. They know where to be. They know how to help one another. They know the schemes that they're trying to execute. And so Kawhi was forced into a bunch of tough shots. He missed a few layups that were just like inexplicable, in my opinion. Um, I don't think he was like out of shape or anything like that. And I just really quickly... Well, I'm not saying you know, he's out of shape. I'm just, you know, no, we, we've had a lot I, of concerns know. about his leg, right? And so... If that's what we can get in a second round game okay. seven, 
What I'm concerned about is, I mean, look, we all know how long the playoffs are, right? And we know how much he was lagging and kind of managing his body during last year's finals run, you know? In hindsight, like that very easily could have been a tipping point for the Raptors. Had he been just a little bit less healthy? Had KD been able to come back and stay back? If Klay Thompson hadn't got injured? There's a couple different ways that whole thing could have could have switched. And we remember Kawhi in a different light. And I think that, you know, generally when you're dealing with uh, injuries that are that long and that nagging, like it just kind of gets slowly worse over time. They clearly spent months and months and months trying to prepare him and his body for that moment. They had a four-month layoff to get him right, and he couldn't even get to the conference finals. That seems like a pretty big red flag for his career. I think the biggest criticism I have of your criticism is that Kawhi Leonard had one bad game, and now he's trash. Is basically oh, what no. I'm, I'm kind of hearing right now. <laughs> All right, look, I, uh, I'm i not saying he's trash by any stretch, but I do think that if you're comparing him to LeBron and you're saying, well, we thought he was the best player in the NBA, don't we have to come back around and say, well, um, maybe that's still LeBron's spot. You're saying, well, you know, Giannis isn't this playoff performer. He's a guy that you really can't trust in the playoffs, some people would say. I'm comparing Correct. him side by side to this version of Kawhi, not the version of Kawhi that won the 2019 title, but like which one of those two guys do you want to build around for next season and beyond? Okay, I, okay. I think that's a fair question. I think we could even say that James Harden had a better ending to his okay. playoffs than Kawhi okay. Leonard did let, here. Let me, let, let me, okay. <laughs> I'm going to read you the point. I'm going to read you the point totals of that Kawhi had in every game in these playoffs okay are you okay. ready for these numbers yeah and when you're wait, done wait, wait. I, when, and when you're done i'm going to read you the results for game five six and seven which is l okay i l, I, l. I, I, I appreciate it it's a team game okay 29 35 36 32 32 33 29 13 23 30 36 25 14 in game seven that is a remarkable run and throughout the nugget series He's tasked with, like, he's chasing around uh, Jamal Murray for a good chunk of that series and doing a pretty good job. And if you look at, like, a lot of our criticism right now, we're not giving credit to the Denver Nuggets, who, by the way, we'll just so there. happened to hit. We'll get there. I know. <laughs> but just so, but like, if you just look at, like, the second spectrum has the, the, the shot quality statistic. And ranking near the top in the, in these playoffs, and in particular in the second round, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic hitting shots that were basically like graded as impossible, routinely, consistently hitting these shots. And they were tough. Floaters, contested fallaways from the mid-range. I mean, some of the defense that both Kawhi and other players on the Clippers had against Murray and Jokic could not have been played better. They just hit amazing shots. That's what the playoffs is about. Um, so I don't know if... Like at the end of the day, yes, he Kawhi Leonard certainly deserves criticism for how he played in Game Seven. He, if you want to be uh, unquestionably the wearer of the crown in the NBA um, in, in a in an era right now where I feel like that that crown is up for grabs or debatable, I still think it's Kawhi, but um, it's up for grabs. It's debatable. You have to come through in a, in a situation like that as the favorite. Your team has been up was up three up three games to one. Um, but I just don't – I think that there were more issues here with the Clippers than just Kawhi Leonard oh, playing for, poorly in a Game 7. For sure there are. But I think Kawhi skates on criticism a lot because he does such a good job of keeping his head down and never saying anything. And I do think it's important to kind of point Smart. out – Smart. Yeah, well, definitely compared to the rest of his team, absolutely. 
Um, but I just think if you're going to be viewed as the best player in basketball, don't you need to be one of the six best players on the court in a game seven? I mean, come on. Like, I'll take Gary Harris over Kawhi Leonard in game seven. I'll, I mean, don't even get me started on Murray and Jokic. Okay. Would you so, rather have uh, Jeremy Grant? Or would you rather have Jeremy Grant or Kawhi Leonard in game seven? I mean, come no, on, man. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. Like, in 2011, I mean, the argument I was positing was that J.J. Barea was a better basketball player than LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, that's that's totally where I was at in my head. So I'm with you. No, look, I'm not going to do a top 100 where I've got Jeremy Grant above <laughs> Kawhi Leonard. I'm just saying if you're if we're trying to parse these things, and again, mm-hmm. comparing to you know Giannis's performance, Giannis was better against the Heat, even though he was not good against the Heat, than Kawhi Leonard was late against the Nuggets. And I hear your point; he had a pretty good playoff run. But I also think there was um, it was kind of fact checking Kawhi Leonard's reputation. He built up this myth last um, last year that he was just like completely flawless in clutch situations. He hits the forward bouncer shot. He has a couple other big shots late in game. All of a sudden, he's Mr. Clutch and never screws up. And I've been over it time and time again, but the switch on Doncic's game winner, the lack of a double team on Booker's game winner, uh, you know, thinking twice and passing out against the Lakers in the first game of the bubble, there was a lot of moments, um, you know, in this run where he just did not get it done in the clutch. And that's really what we judge these players. You know, we, we judge these players a lot. It's, it's the same reason why we were judging Giannis for fouling uh, Jimmy Butler or struggling to get his shots, you know, late in the fourth quarters of, of some of the games against Miami. We have to ding Kawhi for those things. We have to correct his reputation just slightly. Um, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. I think the other big <laughs> lesson, and, and you're right to assign blame in a lot of different directions, and I want to uh, mm-hmm. find out what you have to say about Doc in a minute. But I think it's a great takeaway for any basketball coach out there or, or someone who's like raising kids playing basketball or if you're a young basketball player. The reason why everyone delighted so much at the Clippers loss, and it was a painful demise, but did you hear any sympathy for these guys anywhere? Basically not. Everyone was just reveling in their in their um, sadness. And the reason is this. They were all bark and no bite. It's one of the clearest examples you could ever see of a team that talked and did not walk the walk, right? And so if you're trying to raise basketball players, you're trying to teach your team, how do you play the right way? How do you approach the game the right way? Um, How do you honor the sport? That kind of stuff. All these old man things, Michael, that maybe people out there don't care about like they did when I was coming up. This is the team to highlight to your organization. You don't want to be these guys where you're just getting roasted for eight hours by the entire world after your season ends because you were talking to Damian Lillard during the first, uh, before the playoffs started, because you were talking about Luka Doncic and trying to pick fights with him um, in the first round, because you were you know, talking about Nikola Jokic and then sideswiping uh, you know, Luka by calling them both flailers and floppers. You don't want to be those guys, you know. You want to be the guys who are kind of about your business, who are calm, confident, but not over the top, not too cocky, not showing up your opposition by laughing and, you know, acting like hyenas on the bench like they often did at times, uh, you know, throughout this bubble run. Respect the sport or it's coming back to you hard, and I think the Clippers learned that lesson the hard way. I think they deserved every bit of mocking they got. What do you think, Michael? <laughs> um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was funny to see 
Dame and CJ. Um, I guess like Tipsy CJ on Twitter. Uh, I thought he was going to delete some of those tweets. I haven't checked to see if he if he has, but no, they were very very savage. It's beautiful internet marketing to be like, "Hey, I'm so drunk off my own wine, which you can buy on my website. Here I go, <laughs> like, letting off some funny tweets." It was very very well done by him. Very subtle. I appreciated that. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jared Dudley had the the crying face emoji uh, tweet, and yeah, I mean, they, the Clippers, look, I think a part of this is whenever a favorite, because that's what the the Clippers were, like, all season long, really, I think that there weren't, there wasn't, like, anyone who is in our business who was like, you know, the Clippers just, like, aren't that good. You know, this team that has the second-best offense and the fifth-best defense and the second-best point differential, like, they're not they're, – like, they're so fraudulent. Like, no one was saying that. So um, I think that uh, a lot of people in our industry, Ben, I hope this isn't too inside baseball, but I feel like a lot of people get really upset when they're wrong about predictions. And Including me. When, That's why I'm a little and, <laughs> upset here. I picked the Clippers the whole way. They let me down. I made a classic mistake, Michael. I, I judge them at their best day, not their baseline. I always say judge a team or a player. not uh, Don't judge them on their best day or their worst day, but by that baseline. And I talked myself into their ceiling all year long because when Kawhi did have it going, when he was taken over fourth quarters at certain points of this regular season, they looked mm-hmm. phenomenal. They did look unstoppable. Their perimeter defense is flying around, and you're thinking these guys are going to swallow up a player like Jamal Murray. He's got no chance. But their baseline was much shakier because of some of the uh, circumstances that we've described. And if Kawhi wasn't playing at an A or an A+, their ceiling wasn't nearly as high. So um, absolutely, part of my frustration is for me making a you know violating one of my own commandments here in terms of how we evaluate players. I can own that, and I think you're dead right that there's a lot of other people out there who are feeling let down by their own uh, their view their own viewpoints on the Clippers. Yeah, my thing about that is like, hey, this is me. I picked the Rockets three years in a row, so like I am completely <laughs> like I'm comfortable being wrong. I, I am used to it by now, and that's so, that's a cool thing. So you're the Damian Lillard of predictions, where like you're just going out there and shooting it with no conscience. You're not even worried about what might happen. Is that it? Exactly. Like predictions are whatever, and you know, every once in a while, you you get right you get one right where no you were kind yeah. of against the grain with the masses and you okay. feel great about it okay point taken there but don't you agree yeah. with me a little bit that the clippers kind of also offended our sensibilities along the way right i mean just kind of the way they carried themselves how they, they went down yeah. the 3-1 Look, you know blowing the 3-1 lead and blowing the leads in all three of those games i mean it was like let's find more ways to just sort of be you know like stereotypes of ourselves right yeah, two quick points, and then maybe we can move on from the Clippers unless you want to keep rolling. Um, one is they have no like baseline likable players. Like, am I missing anyone? I like. I guess Lou Williams might be. Uh, I would say Lou Williams is actually pretty likable, and he's honest and he speaks his mind. But beyond that, like, there's really no traditional person that you feel great rooting for, and. Kawhi Leonard is just kind of this like robot. I personally, I love watching him play. I'm a big fan of his, um, but he's just very hard to relate to or get to know. Just his persona is it's a it's a cement wall. Uh, Paul George is not straight up at this point. 
it's sad to say, like, because he was going through some mental health issues in the bubble that he was open about, which is a good thing. But he's just not very uh, uh, easy to root for, I would say, at this point, because he just continuously puts his foot in his mouth uh, when it comes to going at Dame Lillard, who's the coolest dude in the league, or you know, saying we're in the driver's seat after game six. There's just not a lot of accountability with him. Saying after the series that this was not a championship or bust season, what on earth are you talking about? Of course, it's a championship or bust season. Like <laughs> it's incredible. It's absolutely, it's silly. Um, and then the other thing I just want to say about the Clippers before we move on is I have a question for you about them. Please. One of the issue, one of the issues that I had when I would think about the Clippers is, I, and I wrote about this at GQ, is I never throughout the entire season. Uh, was able to kind of pin down an identity for them, be it a stylistic identity or something related to their aesthetic. Uh, And I always feel like a championship team has an identity that it can lean on. And so when I looked at the Rockets, one of the reasons I picked them was I just knew that they knew who they were. They were going to play small. They were going to switch everything. They were going to take a ton of threes. They were going to isolate with Harden. Uh, They were going to let Westbrook run the floor in transition and and get opportunities there. I knew what they were. I know what the Celtics are. I know what the Toronto Raptors are. I know what the Lakers are. Um, I even know what the Nuggets are. I never knew what the Clippers were. They obviously never knew what they were. Um, When you thought about the Clippers, like when they popped into your head, was it just like, okay, this team has Kawhi, and that's great, and that's what they are, and they'll win because of that? Or did you have some kind of sense of what their identity was? So their identity was supposed to be streetlights over spotlights, we over me, <laughs> squad over self. They told us that. They put it on all the buses. They put it on the Jumbotron. They put it on billboards along the highway. It was going to be, we are this gritty, superstar-infused team that's full of substance that is just, you know, uh, you don't want to play us five-on-five on on a blacktop. We will beat you. That's who they were. They were were not gritty. They were not gritty at all, though. It's like In the the final analysis, they were the exact opposite of that in the late game, game five, game six, game seven. They were all bark, no bite, which is exactly the opposite of we over me, right? And their identity was supposed to be, you know, elite postseason defense, arguably the best, you know, defense in the league when you've got all those guys who could be interchangeable and long. On offense, it was supposed to be spread the court, uh, you know, Lou and Trez pick and rolls, and then Paul George and Kawhi Leonard attacking. Uh, in late in games, it's Kawhi, you know, basically ball in his hands, spread court, and he can go wherever he wants, and he's got shooters in all the corners. They look so good at one point that I dubbed their closing lineup that was small the coma lineup because it wasn't quite as good as the death lineup, but it was close, right? Like it, it had some shades of that, but they just could not sustain it in the playoffs, you know, whatsoever. And um, they did not achieve their identity. And that's why I think the questions do turn to Doc Rivers a little bit. He's had a number of playoff collapses with the Clippers. He obviously Mm -hmm. pushes every button he possibly can. You're not going to find a better internal communicator than Doc. Was he good enough as a game manager here, Michael? Was there more that he could have done? And I think the most important question, and actually, I'll just uh, 
you know, bring this in from Nathan in Edmonton. He says, for the last 10 years, it seems like all we've heard is about how Coach Rivers is a great players coach, how he's able to reach them and motivate them to success. At this point, following another 3-1 collapse, should he have to retire the Doc moniker? Should he no longer be Doc and just go back to being Glenn until they actually win something? At this <laughs> point, disrespect. does it, he says, at this point, doesn't it feel like a complete fluke that a Celtics team even won a title? So, I mean, Nathan's really getting his digs in. But spin it this way, Michael. If you're Steve Ballmer and you've invested everything you can possibly invest in the Clippers, you've tried to turn them into an A-list organization across the board. You bought the forum, right, to build Uh a new building. You gave Doc Rivers this gigantic coaching staff with a whole bunch of people who could be future head coaches, Sam Cassell, Ty Lue. Uh, the list goes on. You have mo- the most loaded front office in the league, I would say. And you even upgraded your practice facility, even though you're moving out of it in a couple of years, just so that it would be a little bit nicer for your team. On top of that, you spend huge at the deadline, bringing in all these extra pieces who may or may not help, just trying to give yourself a, a team, you know, a winning edge. After all mm-hmm. of that, are you still convinced Doc is the guy who's going to get you over the hump. Are you still buying into that? Hey, he's a championship coach because he won it with Boston. Or are you starting to think, hey, maybe we should go a different direction? Well, I think the should you go in a different direction question is a moot point because Doc Rivers isn't getting fired. And we knew that no matter, I mean, they could have gotten swept in this series. Doc Rivers isn't going anywhere. Um, I also just want to quickly point out that I appreciate you trolling me with the specific question that has, uh, was it a complete <laughs> fluke that the Celtics ever wanted to, the only Celtics title in my lifetime, like, let me have it, please. Um, look, yeah, it, I might, think... it might stay the only Celtics title, frankly, if, if, okay. the, if the Heat have okay. anything to say about it, Michael, if those South <laughs> okay. Beach boys are coming for you. <laughs> okay, so I think with Doc, um, his job this year, no one really talked about it, but it was very difficult. Like, the fact that you had to deal with Paul George not being in training camp. Um, you had to deal with Kawhi Leonard's uh, load management. The fact that those two were only on the court for, I think, 32 games before uh, the shutdown. You had uh, this really trick. I mean, I kind of put it on him, and then I kind of put it on the situation where, uh, going back to my identity question, like, that is on Doc. Uh, not really, you know, they had pet plays for sure that were very effective. And like, you can't just say that they like sucked on offense or anything like that because they had the second best offense in the league. So obviously he's doing something right. Obviously he's doing something right from the perspective that their defense was extremely good. Um, They did a great job protecting the paint. One of the better teams in the league at allowing or not allowing points in the paint. Um, So, Principles. It's not like they were completely absent of some defensive principles and offensive uh, schemes, um, but you also have to kind of be like, uh, w- like w- why? <laughs> Look, like the I had this stat in my story, but the Pat Beverly and maybe maybe this is the coma lineup that you were referring to, but Pat Beverly, uh, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams, Kawhi, and Paul George. That group should have been the best group that the Clippers had this season. That should have been their closing group that played at the end of first halves. That should have been um, a group that you leaned on repeatedly so that these guys could develop chemistry together. Uh, They ended up playing 56 minutes during the regular season. They played 
three minutes together in game seven. So uh, I put that on Doc, not being able to find the right lineup, not being able to work your way through some growing pains with a lineup like that, that you know you're going to need, that you know can create so many different problems for whoever you're playing. Um, I put that on Doc. Uh, I, at the end of the day, like, I think his situation was very difficult, and uh, it sounds like I'm making an excuse for him. I think he's a really great coach. I think people were not necessarily criticizing Doc Rivers uh, last season when his Clippers team completely uh, uh, exceeded expectations, particularly in how they played against the Warriors in that first-round series. Um, This was just a blunderous situation for everyone involved, and... I, I think that, you know, he he has to foot some of the blame and it was a really tough spot to be in as a head coach. I think they have enough extenuating circumstances where they can um, still believe that they can come back next year and, and compete for a title and win a title. No and doubt about it. No doubt so about I, it. And I think that his relationship is so tight with the front office there, Lawrence Frank, that I, I think that basically every team would give him the benefit of the doubt. To me, the only wild card is Balmer because we've never seen a guy as competitive and as cutthroat about winning as Balmer in this particular spot, right? With with the kind of reserves that he has. I mean, he would pay anything to anyone to get a a title because it's all just, you know, pocket change to him. Um, So does he wind up having the patience or does he look a little bit impulsive after this really embarrassing and frankly, the biggest disappointment in franchise history kind of blow up in his face? How does he respond? I just think it's something that we've got to watch. I want to give a real quick thanks to guys like Andrew and our buddy Harsh in India for sending in some awesome questions about the Clippers. We just don't have time to get to them. Uh, but uh, I thank you guys for uh, for your contributions. All right, Michael, let's shift gears here. You really want to talk about the Nuggets, and so uh, you know, here comes a question from Brendan. He says, "Michael the Pod and Bubble Ben, I'm a huge fan of the show. I listen to every episode and embarrassingly excited when a new one drops." I'm a Nuggets fan. I live in Denver during the Mellow Billups Kmart era and have continued to follow them ever since. After the Nuggets dominated the second half of Game 6 and forced the title favorites to a Game 7, I expected some acknowledgement on Monday's show. What did I get? Understandably, Lakers praise an exciting preview for the Heat Celtics Game 1. But who needs more Rockets and Bucks offseason speculation? Who cares? The Rockets underachieved, and I expect the same story to be true for the next five years. The Bucks were eliminated a week ago. How about we use our time to discuss the team still playing in the bubble? I've heard Ben write off the Nuggets from the first round. Verbatim quotes, the Rocky Mountain matchup will be a flyover series. This is a fraud off between Denver and Utah. After falling down only 2-1, are the Nuggets toast? I know the major headlines and storyline is the Clippers choke job, but please, 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 before delving into the horrific shooting of playoff P or the lack of enthusiasm or leadership of Kawhi, give the Nuggets some credit. Give Jokic and Murray credit for being Tier 2 stars who continually showed up. Give Grant and Harris uh, and Craig credit for being hard-nosed defenders, making timely threes. Even Millsap deserves credit for playing awful but saving the season with an amazing third quarter in Game 5. Give them credit for believing in themselves and playing until the end. Now, Michael, was this your burner account? <laughs> I, I I commended you before we went on the air because uh, before our last episode, I specifically pointed out to you that we should probably cover the Nuggets They've been playing great. They're an incredible story. 
and you were just like, we're not, we're not doing that. Screw you, Mike. And I was like, that, that's not really a very nice thing to say. So I'm very, I'm, 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 I'm proud of you for reading that email, um, acknowledging your mistake and letting us get into, uh, talking about a very good basketball team. I need to acknowledge one other mistake. That was actually from Jake. We got almost the exact same email verbatim from a guy named Brendan. So they're coming in <laughs> from all over the Rocky Mountain time zone, and we appreciate it. Look, in my defense, we covered the bigger stories. I know the Nuggets fans are real touchy. They're sounding a lot like Jamal Murray right now. Hey, we're not getting enough love. We're not getting enough credit. And I knew we were going to have this podcast today to shower them with praise if they did pull it off and frankly, completely ignore them if they lost to the Clippers, okay? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Those are those are the rules. We only have so much time, Michael. I also want to read, uh, just to kick off our Nuggets discussion, I want to read a question from Thaddeus. He says, in a league where bigs routinely get played off the court, Jokic is a playoff killer. He was a monster last year in a pair of uh, Game 7 series, and even better this year against a Clippers team that had an elite defense. He saves his best games for the end of series uh, with a triple-double in Game 7, and he manipulated the Clippers all over the court. It doesn't work without Murray. He, uh, Murray played the two best perimeter defenders and saved a monster game for when it was necessary. So my question is, is Jokic versus LeBron the best matchup of master manipulators since dot, dot, dot? So, Michael, first of all, tell me what you thought about Jokic's closing efforts. Everything that Kawhi was supposed to be, we could say Jokic was definitely. I mean, easily the best player in the series, um, especially late, um, dominated everything, controlled the controlled the action what did you any any new takeaways from Jokic's closing efforts there in that series? And then, did the Jokic versus LeBron, uh, you know, match up in terms of you know who controls the game? Get you thinking back to any comparisons throughout NBA history? I mean, comparing anyone to Jokic is like just a fool's errand. I mean, he's this like seven foot, three hundred, however many pounds pillow who has eyes like six eyes back of his head side of his head he just like that over the head pass he threw after game seven was basically decided just like totally insane um and also one of the most disrespectful things that i've ever seen i mean come on disrespectful but i love it i mean you gotta if it's there take it um it's so funny because he's the only superstar who doesn't have an instagram but that pass he did that for the gram that was for all the the Clippers <laughs> haters in the entire world who was like who wanted to see it kind of shoved in their face just one last time. That's what that pass was for. Yeah, so I I wrote this story talking about his passing really quick. Um, I rewatched before Game Seven uh, every pass that he threw in that series. It was like five hundred passes, um, about that number, and I wanted to find the five best, and it was basically an impossible task. Like he, <laughs> it's like. Once you get to like the top 15 or so that just make you like passes that make your jaw drop and you make you be like, how how is this even physically possible? It's really difficult to get down to five. And I actually ended up using six because I, I just could not get down to five. It was it was it was too difficult. Um, Jokic in the series, he was the best player in the series. Uh, hands down, I would say there was just absolutely no answer for him. When he has it going in the post, when he's drawing double teams, uh, is there a better passer out of a double team down low with your back to the basket in the history of basketball? I don't, I mean, like we bring LeBron into this conversation 
and LeBron is probably like the rebuttal that I would I would bring up. Um, like, I just I think that Jokic is really built for the geometry teachers out there, right? Because the angles, like if you're forming like a insane. triangle with his body, and then the passing angle, and like where the ball starts from, and where he, I mean, he's the hypotenuse king, isn't he? I mean, a lot of these passes, he's he's <laughs> passing from above his head and the ball winds up you know getting to a guy at his waist and then that guy can easily convert the quick layup on the cut right and I do think what you're saying you know passing out of double teams I do he's the best I can ever remember I can't remember someone better at that because there aren't very many players as tall as him who are as comfortable with the ball above his head I mean he moves it around a lot he keeps you guessing um, and he has good hands so he's not you know it's not like a turnover uh, risky type situation and then he passes to wide open space. He passes to places people will be. He passes to places guys don't even know they're necessarily going to go to until they realize what he's up to. Um, it's phenomenal. In terms of the the matchup of master manipulators, I'm I'm curious what you think about this. Uh, what about like Magic versus Isaiah in the finals in the 80s, right? I mean, are we going back to something like that for the way? I mean, obviously completely different uh, methods here of guys who control the game with their passing, but like, what else comes to mind in terms of uh, you know this particular Jokic versus LeBron matchup? Yeah, no, historically, very difficult question to answer. I mean, Magic Johnson being in the conversation is very fair. I mean, like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson maybe is the answer here. I don't know. Uh, it's like I'm trying to even think about um, just players that LeBron has had to go up against throughout his career and uh there's really no one who yeah because like yeah like the Steph or KD matchups that he's had or even the Tim Duncan matchups he's had those guys are having huge impacts but it's not necessarily their passing first right it's either their scoring or their gravity or their movement or their physicality or kind of like their central characteristics right so that's why this one's a little bit different I mean Jokic can score for sure he's very physical he can pound you around the paint if he needs to but the defining characteristic is the passing part, and that is pretty unique. One hundred percent. And I mean, we're talking about like LeBron is maybe the best player ever, one of the best players ever. His best quality is passing, which is what makes him so unique. Uh, Jokic is just uh, like officially, unofficially, the best passing big man uh, of all time. So we're talking about historic players here with historic selflessness and historic vision and historic anticipation, as you said, of just knowing what's going to happen two seconds before it actually happens. And just it's 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 master manipulation. Yes, it's just, it's just like treating the game like a chess board in a way that no one else can really. I hear you. Um, it's you're going back decades to find a comparison like this because you go look at like Jason Kidd's you know, finals matchups, we never really saw, like, it was whether it was Kobe or whoever else. Again, it's not like that big, you know, big time playmaker for his teammates um, in those spots. I'd love to hear any other uh, nominations or suggestions that people have out there. Um, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Thaddeus, the best I have for you is Isaiah versus Magic. I hope that's uh, good enough. And, and Larry versus Magic makes a lot of sense too. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Um, we got a question here from Joel in Minnesota who wants to point out that he's originally from Denver. Everybody's claiming the Nuggets these days, Michael. He says, these bubble playoffs haven't disappointed at all, and the Nuggets are outharding the Clippers. That's the cherry on top. My question is, is Gary Harris the X factor for the Nuggets? I haven't checked his actual stats, but it seems like since he's been back, their defense has significantly improved, and it's allowed them to come back in the series first against Utah and then against the Clippers. I think Joel's right on. Um, they benefited from the, the shutdown um, where you know the Bucks decide to, to stop the league for a couple days. Gary Harris winds up getting himself back healthy late in that Utah series, and he's been a big-time impact player um, for Denver uh, ever since. Um, and I think he's going to play a pretty important role here in the Western Conference Finals as well. Uh, Michael, when you look ahead to the Western Conference final between the Lakers and the Nuggets. Is Gary Harris the X factor or do you see any other X factors out there who you want to identify? Um, I, I mean, Gary Harris is super fascinating because like the Nuggets were so bad on defense for a variety of reasons before he came back. And then, you know, when he's on the floor they're I don't want to say they're elite because they still have some holes, but they're very good, and he kind of organizes a lot of it and lets the, the dominoes settle a little bit and lets everybody else kind of fall into place. So, like, when Gary Harris is playing lockdown defense, I don't know who he's going to be trying to lock down or who he's going to be even guarding in the Lakers series. It's such a weird, uh, it's such a weird matchup for, I guess, any team because of LeBron being the point guard, essentially. But um, 
when he's got it going offensively, when he's hitting his outside shots, when he's like sprinting the floor in transition and catching outlet passes from Jokic, um, and just being like super smart, not turning the ball over, um, uh, and not committing dumb fouls, i.e. Michael Porter's minutes, um, then yeah, he's like a net plus in a lot of really intriguing ways. And so here's a stat for you, Michael. You'll appreciate this. Okay. Denver's defensive rating in the first round against Utah was 120. And um, you know, for people who aren't familiar, that's absolutely atrocious. Like that's real quick. That for people, that's like a trip to the free throw line, <laughs> like every possession. Right. That's what that is. And in the second round against the Clippers, who we would say is a better offensive team than Utah Jazz, right? Their defensive rating was 107. So they went from 120 to 107 um, mm-hmm. from round to round. So we're, can, we can't give all the credit to Gary Harris for there. Obviously, there's opponents out there who are, you know, <laughs> either kind of like comfortable or not comfortable and everything else. But that is a massive, massive swing. No, he was their third leading scorer in the second round. Um, you know, obviously, a ton of the offense is Jokic and Murray. Um, but shot 50% from the floor, 42% from the three-point line, and he gets to the free-throw line a couple times a game. So I think he's he's significant for, for sure. sure. In the, yeah, and I don't know I, how much more you want to talk about, Gary Harris. <laughs> no, you're doing great. I just want to say, like, this is why I thought you guys were a cute story, Nuggets fans. Sorry, I don't take any team seriously that plays for an entire series with 120 defensive rating, all right? Call me old school. I'd like to have it slightly better than some of the worst defense ever played in NBA history, right? So you guys tightened up in the second round. You uh, came through in the clutch absolutely very well in game five, six, and seven, and I'm going to give you credit for that. However, in the Western Conference Finals, I'm going to be a jerk. I'm still taking the Lakers in six. Michael, what say you? Do you have a prediction? Are you willing to bet against the Lakers for the third straight time? Because keep in mind, Denver has looked better in these playoffs, at least recently, than both Houston and Portland. And you picked both Houston and Portland to knock off the Lakers. So are you ready to do it for the third time? I'm, I'm just I'm just trolling you a little I love, bit here. I, 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 I love how you're egging me on. You want me to pick the Nuggets so bad. Um, well, look, it's good for know, business because then we can go back and I forth. I know. I Look, I think about something you said to me. I forget when. Uh, it was a text that you sent, I think, uh, reminding me that you picked – against the Dallas Mavericks in every single series leading up to their 2011 championship not run. O- not only did I pick against them, I confidently picked against them every single round. It was it was just a disaster, and I was surprised every time it went the other way. Yeah, and I, actually, like, going back and looking, you, you're not crazy for doing what you did. I'm probably a little more crazy in doing what I'm about to do, but I'm picking the Nuggets in seven. I'm not going to go earlier than that. I think that a part of me is just kind of like the Nuggets have no answer for LeBron. I don't know what their answer is yet for Anthony Davis. Those are two pretty significant issues, I would say, defensively. Um, That said, uh, uh, offensively, like Jamal Murray is like, I don't want to compare him to any of the, you know, the all-time greats here, but his ability to just generate offense on pull-up threes, um, on pull-up twos, the floater game is immaculate. Uh, The way he has chemistry with Jokic in setting screens, 
creating confusion. It's a lot. It's just it's it's very reminiscent of Steph Curry in so many different ways, and I just don't know if the Lakers have the defensive discipline to deal with someone like that. And just even like talking about Murray, who's guarding Jokic? Like, is this a Dwight Howard series? Do we trust Dwight Howard? Like, I just we definitely don't trust Dwight Howard, but it could be a Dwight Howard series. Okay, so if you're not going to be able to go small, which I don't think they are because I don't think Anthony Davis wants any of Nikola Jokic in the post repeatedly for four quarters. I just don't I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, also, you have to chase this guy out to the three-point line. It's just it's not an assignment that I think uh, Anthony Davis wants as good as a defensive player as he is. Um, like it's I don't know. The, the Nuggets are just playing really great, and so, I just don't so want to pick the Lakers. In what, five? <laughs> nuggets in five, or what are you picking? I'm, go, I'm going Nuggets in seven. Oh, I love it, Michael. Good work. Um, so here's the thing. I feel like I spent the entire year cramming for the Lakers versus Clippers exam, right? I know all the material inside out. Michael, I could rewrite the syllabus. I was all over it. Every single night, diligently studying for 14 straight months. And then I woke up the night before the test, and it turns out I read the wrong book, right? And it's now it's Nuggets Lakers, and it's like, whoa! I'm trying to cram the last couple days beforehand. I'm sure that makes the Nuggets fans laugh, um, but it's true. I did not see this series coming. Once you really do start breaking it down like you just did, every matchup is awesome, right? And every single star in this series, and I'm going to include Jamal Murray in this conversation, should have the ability to go off, right? Any of these four guys should be enjoying major, major uh, advantages at their uh, their, their uh, specific position. Now, I do think this is going to be a series where the Lakers have to stay big for a, a good chunk of it. I'm not sure they mind doing <laughs> that. I think they're okay with that. But I also That's think they that are. It, yeah, yeah. But I also think that they had so much success going smaller with Davis and their you know six six to six eleven lineup uh, in the second round that they're going to be tempted to go back to that because it was pretty much the best lineup anybody's had so far in the playoffs. That's going to put a lot of strain, as you mentioned, on Davis, a lot of pressure on Davis. And, you know, I bet LeBron is kind of talking him up right now, right? Trying to build up his confidence a little bit. You got this, no problem. You know, like we're much more mentally tough than the Clippers were. He's not as good as he looked in the second round and all that stuff. I do think a ton of pressure in this series falls onto Davis's shoulders. I, I think he's almost in the Paul George role from last series where it's like, hey, um, this is going to be a referendum on his reputation depending on how this thing goes. Um, I suspect it couldn't go as poorly as things did for uh, for Paul George, but I do Not think it's, it's it's certainly going to be the, the one to circle. Um, here's why I'm picking the Lakers. Uh, I think the key X factor is actually the rest. The Lakers have only had to play six games over the last 24 days. The Nuggets are coming off of two seven-game series um, where they've had to scramble and scramble and scramble and scramble. Now, is that going to show in game one where it seems like LeBron just loves tanking game one to mess with the opponents? I'm not sure. Maybe Denver can keep its momentum going early in the series. Um, But I do think over the course of this series... Um, they're going to be able to uh, you know, outlast the Nuggets in a way that the Clippers weren't. Um, that's just my gut take. Um, I also just, when I'm looking at playoff LeBron, I still think he can take it up another notch even more than he showed against Houston. I think he's peaking at the right time. I think the matchups are very favorable for him. Um, and I think uh, if he's rested and peaking and sort of in full playoff version, I feel like that's the deciding factor here. Um, a little bit of simplistic top-down analysis for me, you know, like 
pure faith in LeBron. Uh, but uh, you know we've seen it a lot of times, and Denver they just not really quite in that mold of team that have teams that have taken down LeBron in the past. Um, so you know we'll see. Maybe they can um, you know add a different chapter to that. But uh, I am really looking forward to this series after not even thinking it was possible until basically two minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think the key here is like if you're Denver, just don't turn the ball over. Whatever, like. St- Watch what Russell Westbrook did and be like, like in your film <laughs> sessions right now and just be like, we're going to do the exact opposite here. If we do not have a shot, we are not going to drive into the teeth of the defense and then kick the ball into LeBron's chest. That's not going to be a strategy for us. That's not who we are. Because if you turn the ball over against the Lakers, it's all over. That's just, it's, it, that, that is fuel for them. And so... If they can take care of the ball, if they can get, finish possessions with shots or fouls or even like dead ball turnovers, just keep the game in the half court, and I think they have a chance. Well said. All right, let's uh, close this up with some thoughts on the Eastern Conference Finals, which opened with a Boston loss, I should say, actually, in Game 1 overtime to the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler pounds through Jason Tatum for the strong and one late in overtime, Michael. Then uh, Jason Tatum comes down and gets absolutely destroyed by a Bam Adebayo block on the other end. Felt almost like a a personal torture session for you there. We got a question from Al in Michigan who's been dying to get on the podcast. Al, I appreciate your passion. Here it comes. Should we give Jimmy Butler enough credit now that the Heat are in the Eastern Conference Finals? He's one of the better two-way shooting guards in the league, and he's a closer. Philadelphia has to be regretting that one. I hear you on that, Al. I hear you on that. Let's just, you know, let's just make the poor Sixers fans feel even more pain. Michael, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on the end of Game One? I mean, we got an incredible Marcus Smart shooting performance that I'm sure Boston sad that they let go to waste. You got an incredible Marcus Smart flop, which just outraged basically everyone in the gym, um, and uh, you know it wound up not being the winning play, but it was it was awful close there. And then you got this Legend. sensational block shot from Bam, who I know you profiled earlier this year in some detail. He winds up swatting and breaking the heart of, of basically your favorite player. Can you just run down your emotional roller coaster there, um, you know, late in that game one? And are you concerned about Boston's late game execution on offense? Tatum misses his last seven shots, Michael, and Kemba's doing a lot of pounding and dribbling in isolation and not really getting much out of it. Um, what, what do you think? <sighs> yeah. Um, my reaction was that if that was any other game in the series, I probably would have called in sick for this podcast for the rest of my life. I was, I was worried. I actually told I you don't pretend to be sick <laughs> in the aftermath for- of that, of that, uh, of that block, because I could feel, you know, your heart and soul being swatted by Bam too. Yeah, you sent me a lot of text messages that night. I appreciate every single one of them. Um, I, you know, the fact that it was game one really is a calming factor in all of this. I think that the Celtics, I don't want to say they dominated the game because they didn't dominate it, but they were in control. I feel like for most of it, they were in a 14 point lead in the. Michael, how'd they lose this one? I mean, like, really, what ha- they should have won game one. I mean, I'm looking back and saying Marcus Smart was on fire. They looked really smooth early in that game. Like you're saying, they built the lead. Yeah. It felt like they had control really from the opening tip. What the heck happened? 
Honestly, I mean, I'm not getting too worried about the offense. I think there were certainly some issues in the last three or so minutes in particular. Um, like, I'm not going to criticize Tatum, really. I mean, he had that air ball. Obviously, you don't want to shoot an air ball with three minutes left in a one-possession game. But I think the possessions that were more worrisome were just, uh, like, how Kemba looked in isolation situations against, say, Jay Crowder or Tyler Hero. Like, these are players who he absolutely needs to turn the corner on and get to the basket and draw a foul or draw help and put Miami in rotation or whatever, create space for himself, which he did a couple times down the stretch. But like that play with, uh, I want to say like 30 seconds to go where he has Crowder isolated on the right wing, can't shake him with the hesitation and then gets the shot blocked and it's a shot clock violation. That is completely inexcusable and not like anything that I've seen from the Celtics in a a late game spot, in any type of spot. That type of offense just can't happen. And I don't think it will going forward. My other, my, my, I think my bigger issue is just defensively. So, in my opinion, the biggest play of the game was Celtics up five after Kemba hits a step back from the left elbow over, I think, Jimmy Butler on a switch. And, Celtics up five, minute left, and they come down. Uh, Kemba Walker is guarding Tyler Hero. There's a little screen action um, at the top of the key, and he thinks that Marcus Smart is switching, and Marcus Smart's like, no, I'm just staying with my dude because this wasn't even a hard screen. And Kemba, it's just like, it's one of those rare miscommunications that the Celtics rarely ever make. Kemba just leaves Tyler Hero for no reason. Tyler Hero, who is 20 years old, but is actually Mike Miller, like in his prime. You cannot leave that dude open. I don't care what the situation is. He's deadly. He knocks down the three. It's a two-point game. I thought that that possession was everything right there. When I was watching the game live, I was like, that is the type of mistake that will really come back to haunt you. Um, I just think there's mistakes like that can get cleaned up. And then, I mean... You got to give credit always to the opposition. And Jimmy Butler had two, like the, the corner three to go up one, which incredible. I mean, you can say that it's a wide open corner three. I don't, I, I think that the stakes there were a little bit more than it's a wide open corner three. And then the finish and one uh, over Tatum, which if you watch the replay, it's just physically impossible. I still have no idea how he put that ball in the basket. Uh, Tatum played great defense there. So got to give credit where it's due. And then obviously at the end of the game, Bam, who might be my fa- my, my, my two favorite non-Celtics in the whole league, I think, are Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So for Bam to make that play, yeah, my heart was melting inside my chest. I really did not want to see that happen um but if anyone's going to make a play like that i both expect bam to be the one who does it and i'm happy for him for making it happen it's an unbelievable play and i like i thought tatum was was gonna catch him for sure because he came around that Me corner too. so hard. And what have I been telling you? I just want Tatum to go to the basket a little bit more late in games. Shake it up. Don't always settle for those Kobe jumpers. Don't always settle for the step back three. We know he can hit that shot. He was shooting awesome. I mean, Tatum had a great game one um, before he was, you know, went a little bit cold there late. I mean, an incredible all-around performance from him, uh, both ways as always, offense and defense. 
Um, are we he, recording? Are we are we recording right now? Did you just so we'll have this uh, as proof of you saying that st- that sentence? However, late in the game, uh, <laughs> the one time he goes to the basket, I mean, I'm worried this is going to be negative reinforcement for him, Michael, because the one time he goes to the basket hard, like I want to see from him, he winds up you know being on the wrong side of just a historic block shot by Bam. I mean, even Magic Johnson was getting in on the action, <laughs> overreacting on Twitter about it. Um, so I just hope he takes the right lesson from that, which is, look, I mean, there's like a 90% chance in that situation, probably 95% chance against most bigs. He's either getting the dunk, getting fouled, or both. Um, Bam just executed it absolutely perfectly. And I want to see more of that from Tatum because I am worried about Kemba's ability to get the right type of shots late in games. I don't really trust him with the game on the line in these spots. Personally, I don't. I do trust Tatum to make good decisions and to be efficient and, and to you know not turn the ball over. But I also want to see just better shot selection and, and him going to the hoop a little bit more than he has been rather than just sitting on the perimeter. And I also think they're getting a little stagnant, you know? Like, let's let's get a little bit more motion and For movement sure. um, you know, in, in these late-game situations, and they'll probably be okay. Um, just a gutsy win by the Miami Heat, though. And I think for anyone who's been riding their train, like we hear from all these Nuggets fans, and I know there's a lot of Heat fans out there too, like that game was like peak Miami Heat, right? I mean, it was the best moment they've had since LeBron left. So, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, hats off to them as well. Like you said, give credit to them, uh, you know, both ways late. There's just a lot of really big, smart execution. And what I love about the Eastern Conference Finals it's just not a lot of uh, not a lot of mistakes either way. You know, both teams playing really hard, really smart. Um, you know, feeling confident and in good rhythm, and it should make for just an awesome, awesome series. We're going to close up, Michael, with a little exercise for you as a writer. Okay, um, we got a great email from Dory in Bellingham. Uh, she's a big time Open Floor Globe member. Always appreciate hearing from her. She says, "I want you to use one word to describe the following." The Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals, the Nuggets playoff performance, the overall NBA bubble, and then Boston losing game one in overtime. And in parentheses, she even added, sorry, Michael. So she's just trying to dig at you, Michael. I kind of love this. But give me your one word for the Eastern Conference Finals. Pleasure. Mine is attrition. That's that's where I'm going. So we're obviously on uh, you know different sides of that one. Although I guess for some people, <laughs> I guess for some people, Michael, attrition is pleasure if you think about it. Uh, sure. All right, Western Conference Finals. Speechless. Zoink. I think just because <laughs> I, I just did not see this coming whatsoever. I just you know it's a complete zoink for me. Um, the Nuggets playoff performance. Where do you go? Sublime. Cardiac. I think, you know, I mean, just they get themselves into these moments where, you know, your chest is thumping. I mean, they just did it night after night after night and they love it. They thrive off of it. All right. The overall NBA bubble execution. I said perfection. Um, Wow. And I want to just like the first word that popped into my head was like their execution has been like perfect i mean like there hasn't been any um any issue that the nba has caused or the nba has not been able to uh deal with in getting this off which is it's remarkable honestly i mean we didn't expect i know i'm supposed to only give one word but i wanted to explain this one um we didn't expect uh at least i think I think I can speak for you because beforehand, this is the conversation that you and I kept having back and forth. 
we thought that uh, coronavirus would have been a much bigger issue inside the bubble. A thousand and percent. It has not been at all. So um, no, they nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I was going to go with something boring like leadership because they showed awesome leadership, but I actually think I'm going to use the word groundhog because ultimately they did such a good job with the coronavirus stuff and the thing held up and we've been here so long that we're just in the spot now where just every day is the same, right? It's just groundhog day, groundhog day, groundhog day. This thing is really long. I could use marathon as another one word. I'm going to use groundhog. That's what I'm going to probably take away from this experience more than anything else. It's just the the daily routines of the thunderstorms and the little walks. And, you know, uh, there's Spolstra, there's Stevens getting their walk on. I mean, it's just, you know, who's got the uh, who's got the ability to just kind of grind this thing out day after day. Um, last one. What is your word for Boston losing game one in overtime, Michael? Optimism. Wow. Wow. Um, should I use perfection for this one? What do you think? No, you can't. I already used perfection. You can't do that. I'm sorry. Okay. The, the word I'm going to use is do Rita. And that is the red lobster. I know that's a huge chain up there in your neck of the words, Michael. Red lobster has unleashed a Mountain Dew margarita. That's bright green. I think that has officially replaced green beer as my go-to slogan for the Celtics playoff run. If you're going to have a, you know, official drink, um, you know, during the Eastern Conference Finals to celebrate, Michael, make sure it's a do Rita from Red Lobster. And I'm definitely not being paid for this. I just think it's the funniest thing I've ever heard of. And I'm probably going to have to order myself a virgin do Rita at some point. What do you think? You know, I've never been to Red Lobster in my entire life. Yeah, you know, you you New Englanders love to pretend that. Come on, you guys love Red Lobster. <laughs> That's your favorite restaurant, isn't it? I swear to God, I've never never been to Red Lobster, and I've never smoked a cigarette. Those are my two claims to fame, Ben. Honestly, neither one of those things surprises me, but you better get on it. Beyonce's been telling everyone about Red Lobster for years, Michael, so paying attention. <laughs> All right, on that note, we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Dory, thanks so much for that question. That got us talking there at the end. I appreciate it. Um, guys, if you would like to, please go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say Rate and Review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word about the podcast during these playoffs michael is on instagram and twitter at michael v as in victor pina he's been cranking out amazing stories day after day after day the consistency is spectacular from you michael i love it i've been enjoying every word guys be sure to check all those out i'm on instagram at ben.goliver on twitter at ben goliver as i mentioned please uh, check out my instagram page for ways you can donate to the oregon wildfires any support you can give would be so much appreciated I've also got my Washington Post newsletter coming out every single week. Be sure to subscribe to that on my Twitter page. And don't forget about Bubble Ball. My book has hit Amazon. The pre-order is up. It's coming out you know, sometime next year, Michael. They can uh, get in early and support the cause as well. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Michael, we will be back next week with updates on the conference finals. We have seen all four teams play a couple times before we talk on Monday morning. I cannot wait for it. Hey, Michael, until then. I'll talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, 
why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.